This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Trail podcast where we talk all things extreme and outdoor. Today we're talking about one thing extreme and that apparently is the... Uh, the leadings of Facebook's political agenda. Uh, Mary, this podcast we actually recorded a few a uh, few months ago, but uh, it's become timely again. Uh, it was a good podcast, wasn't it, with Bobby and Sam? It really was, yeah. And, you know, social media is often uh, something that's talked about in terms of how it propagates ideas of uh, body image and women in sports, how um, people look at various of these uh, thorny issues through the lens of sports and nowhere more so than CrossFit, it seems like. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, uh, CrossFit has recently come off uh, social media because it said uh, that uh, it's crafted to reflect the political leanings of Facebook's utopian socialists who are remaining vulnerable to misinformation campaigns designed to stir up violence and prejudice. Right. So that's uh, a statement from CrossFit yeah, itself. Yes, which is uh, pretty strong. And um, although, you know, they're suggesting that Facebook is... Uh, actually making a point to try and uh, cultivate a point of view what, what we talk about with Bobby Bolton and Samantha Chan on today's is more about sort of that soft cultural uh, shaping on beauty standards and uh, and what women are expected to do and what they actually do what I found really interesting I remember is Bobby saying how differently she feels about herself in the in completely different situations I mean she can uh, she doesn't change, but if she's in a CrossFit gym and somebody tells her about how great, how big, strong legs are, then she's super chuffed. And then 10 minutes later, she can be in the changing rooms of Zara and feel really terrible about herself. But mm-hmm. uh, um, is it, you're, you're on a lot of the different social medias. Do you ever feel affected by these sort of things? Not really, but I think it's relevant to a lot of athletes because as we have more brands trying to find their influencers and uh, get their brand names out to have athletes of uh, uh, different from different walks of life, to you know, drop the name of the brand, say what they've been up to, whether they like the products. I think that all feeds into this larger conversation of how people interact with brands and how they present themselves. And so it's not just famous athletes who are doing this now. It's your everyday athlete who may also just be interacting with these brands and uh, working as or, or playing the role as an ambassador for these brands. So it seems like this conversation will be quite relevant to every single trail runner out here. Yep, uh, trail runner and uh, also for CrossFitters because it's in the build-up to uh, the CrossFit Games that we're chatting about this. Um, the Just to say about the two guests that we've got, we've got Bobby Poulton, who is one of the first women, uh, Hong Kong women to go to the CrossFit Regionals, which now no longer exist. It's a different pathway into the Games. Um, and Samantha Chan, who's one of uh, Hong Kong's top trail runners and goes on to particularly mad distances, uh, like the 400-kilometer Gobi Desert. So they're really at the top of their sport really pushing themselves physically and yet still seem affected by these cultural pressures and uh, social media norms so excited about hearing from them samantha i know you were saying you've got a big um, weekend of training ahead of you what's your plans uh i will go uh running tomorrow and then hiking on sunday and monday i will go Running again <laughs> and yoga, maybe. Yeah, and also a long massage. Cool. How many? I mean, how many days a week are you running? Um, probably like five or sometimes six. Ah, that, yeah, that's a lot of running. Um, not very, lot, not very much when compared to some guys like John Ellis or like Jeff Campbell. I'm my uh, mileage is just a half of them. 
Well, I guess uh, normal in the world of ultra running is uh, is a different normal to me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Uh, no, but like, yeah, my mileage is like quite low when compared to other uh, runners. And uh, Bobby, yeah. uh, you uh, got a big, big weekend of training or are you still recovering from that injury you had a couple of years ago or last year, was it? Yeah, last year. My training doesn't quite look like it would normally look if I hadn't injured my back. So um, I'm only training five days a week, two kind of full recovery days now. Um, I'm working tomorrow, so I'll get up, train, and then I'll actually have a Hindu on Sunday. So there won't be much training going on then. Yeah. <laughs> only with my arm, probably. Uh, so, I mean, it must be frustrating being injured, but uh, mentally, do you enjoy sort of the enforced break slightly? Uh, no. Definitely not. I have found it really challenging to um, transition from being someone who identifies themselves as being full-time athlete. You know, you kind of get to you get you get this kind of athletic identity. We talk about it, and um, I used to just only identify myself as being an athlete full-time. That's what I used to think was the only good thing about me. And then when you are not that, or you can't be athletic you kind of lose or you think you lose who you are and you become a little bit frustrated. Um, and it's taken me almost like a grieving process to kind of get over that and realize that actually I'm so much more than just an injured athlete. Um, so now in the last maybe two months, I'm really starting to enjoy my training again and just be so happy that I can move and be grateful. But the first six months were hell. No, did not enjoy the break at all. And <laughs> um, oh, um, when did that identity as a full-time athlete first um, crystallize in your mind? Oh, I mean, it's not full time, is it? We're in Hong Kong, we're in Asia. So, um, and just to be clear, even being one of the top female CrossFit athletes in in Asia means you're actually relatively terrible in comparison to, <laughs> to the rest of the world, shall we say? Um, yeah. So we're we're good compared to the other women in Asia, but um, you know, in in comparison to the US or the Pacific regions, for instance, we're yeah really really low down in terms of development. I forgot the question. The um, when did you? When did that identity as a top of a full-time athlete sort of crystallize in your mind? Um, so I don't know if you guys know how you kind of train to be a, or how the competition works. If you if you compete in CrossFit or you train in CrossFit, um, you do this competition called the Open. Starts in around February every year. Everyone or anyone can sign up. So you could sign up, Mark, you could sign up, Sammy, you could even sign up. Trust me, everyone can do it. They scale it to make it um, suitable for all levels, ages, ability. And um, it's kind of a qualification process. And then you compete once a week for five weeks. And everyone in the world does it. Everyone does the exact same workout. But then if you want to qualify for your region, you have to come the top 10 in your entire region. So we're in the Asia region. There's about two and a half thousand women, I think. I think, who compete in our region. And then you take top 10, so it's really, really hard. And that includes, you know, Russia, China, Japan. Yeah, it's huge. So um, when I accidentally or did, didn't realize I was going to qualify, I kind of shocked myself. I qualified. By default, I'll admit, I only came 14th, not 10th. But um, two people didn't accept their position. A friend of mine, actually, Emily, thank you. So, <laughs> so I got, got asked to go. And then, yeah, that's a game changer. Because you go from it just being kind of fun and, okay, yeah, I'm going to work out. And it, you're a little bit competitive to, okay, you're in the 1% of the people who qualify worldwide. And, it, it's, yeah, it's a big transition. Your training goes from just being one to two hours a day to being, like, double sessions. Nutrition has to be 100% perfect. You have a full-time coach who's helping you program, recovery, sleep. Yeah, it's a game changer. I guess that's a that's very interesting, actually, um, in in the context of this conversation be, um, about a body image, because 
for many people, it's a slow burner. They might start working out because they want to lose weight. And then over time, mm. they decide to change that to more performance-based as they move up the ranks. But yours is, you get an email, you've been selected, you've gone from recreational workout to performance-based workout. How did that change in terms of what your aims were in the context of your body, what it could do and what it looked like? Mm, yeah, um, actually, so for me, that, that transition actually happened a little bit before that. So, so what happens is you decide, okay, I'm going to try this new sport, which is CrossFit, which is what I was doing. I was playing rugby before. Always been a small, petite kind of female, but I've never been tiny, if that makes sense. My legs have always been muscular. I've been able to build muscle a little bit easier. Um, I don't fit into like an extra small, shall we say. Um, so then I decided to do, do CrossFit and going off topic a little bit but what I think tends to happen is people train out of fear I kind of mentioned this before so I was one of those people I was scared about you know the way that I looked and I was really unhappy and I'd wake up every day and look in the mirror and just be like oh, you know pinching flabby bits here and just comparing myself to everything I saw in the pictures and the magazines and then I started CrossFit because I saw these pro women who had like six-pack abs and ripped bodies and I was like that's that's what I want to do I was like, if that's going to be me in four or five years, great. I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. And um, then what happens is initially it's really intimidating because you walk into a CrossFit gym and there is, I'm not going to lie, if you go into a CrossFit box, it's probably going to be the fittest 20 people around you for the next 10 square miles. It's, it can be quite intimidating. But there's also 30 other people who are just, everyone else trying to get fit and happy and healthy. Um, and then you just do your first workout and you realize that uh, one, it's, horrendous <laughs> you're going to be puking probably the hardest thing you've ever done but then you realize that everyone else in the room is like cheering you on and egging you to just be your best I know it sounds quite cliche but you've heard that saying be the best version of yourself but it really is they don't compare you to anyone else in the class you're just comparing yourself to you and doing the best that you can do and that's why they have the option to scale your workout so if we all go into a workout together we all want to finish in 10 minutes so it doesn't mean that if someone's not as fit or not as strong, they're going to be still doing the workout an hour later. It means they've scaled it and you can all finish at the same time. So, um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Mm. Samantha, so you've been a competitive runner for a while now. When did that start and how long has it been since you got um, into running? I started running when I was quite young, like uh, 13 years old, maybe 12. I don't remember. But uh, yes, I've been athletic for many years. Yeah. And talking about body image, yeah. Uh, I have a strong belief, like other Asian girls, um, we believe that like skinny means like good looking, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it happens to me quite a lot of times that like, uh, especially guys, they would judge you like this. Um, when I was young, I had like, like you know, like little boyfriend Biden, <laughs> and then one day he uh, talked to me, and then he asked, "Samantha, can you stop running?" And then I asked him, "Why?" And then he said, "Like, you know what? Um, my friends thought that your shoulders are too wide." Wow! <laughs> and then, yeah, it was quite, it was wow. quite unhappy to hear that, and yeah, I. I actually broke up with him like not long later. And yeah, this is quite a bad experience in your childhood. And maybe this is why I am still single now. No. I'm <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. Yeah, so um even though now um 
I still get some friends. They judge me from time to time. Like it just happened like last month or few two two three weeks ago. And my friend, he's even、uh, traveled, and I was sitting in front of them. And in these days, I I had my strength and conditioning section in joint dynamics and. I find that like some、uh, part of my body grows some muscles, right? And I pay a lot of effort on that because it's not easy for me to gain muscles. Yeah, I'm a little bit different from Bobby, so <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> but yeah, it's easy for you. But like for me, I pay a lot of effort, and then it's been a long time, and also I yeah, it's it's hurting, and I got a little bit of my tricep. Yeah, I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, and my friend said, "Samantha, are you doing gym these days?" I said, "Yes." So yeah, you appreciate my effort in that. And then he said, "Do you think it's a bit too much?"、Uh, I know maybe you want to lose weight on your、uh, arms, but now I still shake. So、uh, maybe you can stop. And then I hit like in the consecutive like、uh, in. The next ten minutes, he just tell me like, "Oh, you know what?、Uh, like working out is like this, and blah blah blah." Like about ten minutes, and then I didn't say a word, and I look at them, and I smile, and then okay, so I shut up. <laughs> so he understand what I mean, yeah. So um, now I still have this belief that like skinny means like looking better, but. Uh, since I'm raising、um, from time to time, I know it's very important keep my、uh, strength, my power, for me to run better. Yeah, so、uh, I really, I really don't care. I know what's my perfect weight and my perfect figure to、um, do my sports. Has your、uh, have you run always、uh, for performance, or was there any other were there other motives like aesthetic aesthetic for a while? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Some like most of the time, I run it for performance. But、um, I was an like track and field runner. Like I, I ran very short distance when I was young. But、um, like、uh, like six or seven years ago, when I start trail running, I started it because I wanted to lose weight. Because I stopped running for a while, and then I find myself like look a little bit like chubby, and so I started that. But When I start running, I find that okay, so I'm in love with it again, and then I keep doing that, and it,、uh, after that is like all for performance.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how does it feel to push back against that perception that、mm-hmm. you should not run as much because it will make your quads big and your shoulders wide?、Mm-hmm. Does it feel good to push back against that? And how does it make you feel differently about yourself as an athlete? Um, I think I'm still、uh, like I'm not really an, a full-time or professional athlete. I'm just like like casual runner, right? And but just a casual 400 kilometer <laughs> third place. I don't think I've run 400 kilometers in my life. Yeah, yeah. What、ever. are you doing this? Just, just a、clear. casual 400 kilometer ultra run. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not professional like Bobby, but yeah, I enjoy a lot <laughs> running. That's why I run a little bit more. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> sorry, what's your question again? <laughs> <laughs> Just to, like, how does it feel to push back against that perception that you shouldn't run? Okay. Uh, 
When I was young, well, I, I didn't know, uh, I didn't really know what I want. So it affects me a bit, like more. But now I don't really care. I don't really, um, yeah. When did that change happen that you used to care and now you don't? Uh, it's because of the uh, joy that I got from my performance or like uh, from running strong. Yeah, I tried some experience which is quite extreme. Um, I tried losing uh, like 10 pounds, it's like 5 kg, almost 5 kg in a week because of uh, food poisoning. Yeah, and I was preparing trail walker in that year, it was like 2013 maybe. Yeah, and then um, after that week, I became quite weak because um, I lost a lot of muscle and then my legs were like chopsticks. I was not happy. Uh, it looked good, right? It looked so skinny, and then but I was not so happy because I lost the ability to climb. I couldn't go uphill, and then I, I, I ran like uh, maybe um, family hikers or like family, like <laughs> you know, you understand what I mean, right? So uh, I was quite unhappy by then. I really want to eat a lot and then gain my muscles back. So ever since then, I know that like something is more important than perception from others. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Hong Kong is a, like an interesting place to be thinking about this because mm-hmm. it's such an international city with athletes from all over the world, and you really have different athletes thinking differently about what it means to be a high performance athlete and what that looks like. So, mm. Bobby, what this, like, how has that f- f- uh, been for you to be in Hong Kong where that perception of being small and petite and feminine is so pervasive and kind of doing, some, doing a sport that really doesn't do petite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this is actually a topic I talk with my girlfriends about a lot. Um, basically, it comes down to kind of the environment that you're in. Um, it's it's really uh, evident there's this kind of immediate change. So when I'm in the gym, my girlfriends are wearing my little booty shorts. I don't know if you know CrossFit athletes practically work out naked. So we wear little booty shorts, little sports bras. You know, we've got massive quads, biceps, you know, more muscles on females than you see in most other sports. And the guys too, you know, tops off immediately if you go into into a gym. And... Um, it's, it's amazing how when you're in the gym, you feel so powerful and so strong. And, you know, you catch a glimpse of, you know, your bicep or your back muscle or your quads and you see like, oh, my quads are popping. You're like, great. You do like a big leg session. and That's like a term, you know, quads are popping. That's like awesome. If my boyfriend says to me, you look jacked, I'm like, yes. Like, that's a great compliment. Me and some of my girlfriends were like, oh, your arms look great today. They look really toned or your glutes look bigger. You know, that's. To me and my girlfriends in the gym, that's amazing. You know, we feel good. It's really empowering. We feel strong. We feel useful. You know, like my body is, I can use it for something. And that's amazing. I don't wake up and have no purpose. Like these muscles are for me to use for something. And it's evident when I go to the gym and I lift heavy weight or I hit a PR. It's like, wow, okay, I've achieved it through training hard. But then on the flip side, if I go to Zara or I go to Topshop, you know, I am... I'm like a large here for my trousers. It's impossible to get anything that fits my legs. Or, you know, my shoulders are quite large, big arms. Um, And that's just a side effect. I don't don't train for aesthetics at all. This is just one of the positive side effects from training the way that we do. But that shift mentally when I walk into the changing rooms, I've got some blouses or some fitted clothing, and they just don't fit. There's just no two ways about it. You know, a large doesn't fit me over my arms. 
jeans I have to buy, maybe two sizes too big to get over my quads, but then they're really baggy around the waist. And I just feel so, I don't know what the word is, but you just feel like you don't fit in and you just feel like ugh, deflated. And it ha- it's happened this week, actually. I was just shopping recently and I was trying to buy a dress. I've got some weddings, wedding season coming up. And I just can't find anything that fits my figure, you know. We've got flat-chested women as you train. You tend to lose some of your tissues around your chest, we say. But So you've got small chest, small waist, huge legs, huge arms, huge back. And, I mean, what I'm saying is it's the environment. It's not how you look. Because one second I can look in the mirror and be like, oh, my God, I love my body. I look amazing. I'm so strong and I feel great. My friends encourage me. Um, And then the next minute, just 20 minutes later, I'm in a shop and I feel inadequate and I feel like oh you know I say to myself you know wish my legs were smaller you would never catch me saying that in the gym mm. ever I'd be like okay come on grow let's go get bigger but um yeah <laughs> but um, so that context changes within the gym and within a shop but does the context change uh from country to country do you notice in Hong Kong versus when you're back home in England um what people say and subsequently how that makes you feel yeah, definitely. I mean, Samantha touched on it briefly. You know, Hong Kong, I'd say, being in my industry as well, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, so I spent a lot of my time working with uh, female athletes or female, uh, just general population, women who want to train for aesthetics. They come in, they want to look better. And the mindset is, in Asian women, is smaller is better. You know, that's kind of what they've been brought up to believe. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's almost, you know, they are they've been taught to think that smaller is better so when they come into the gym and they see me you know caucasian white muscly bigger or more muscular woman it absolutely petrifies them and um they first say oh my god please don't make me look like you and i I have this little joke in my head and i say trust me you won't (laughs) because i eat a lot of food (laughs) and i think it but i don't come across like that i come across as okay you know don't worry and um, I've actually had, I've actually had, if she listens to this, she'll laugh, but I've actually had a client who um, was training with me. She was brought up in a very traditional Chinese family. Same sort of thing, kind of thought that weights were going to make you huge and bulky. And actually, it's just very misleading. I think it's a lack of education, actually. Um, she started training with me and she was actually looking great, really toning up. And then she texted me one day and said, Bobby, I've put on one centimeter on my bicep. I was like, yes, amazing, well done. She's like, no, 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 no. Doesn't look good in my work blouse. You know, I've got a conference next week. And I was like, are you joking? Looks amazing. She's like, no, for me, like, I'm the only female in it. She works in, like, a male uh, environment as well. She said, I don't want to look muscular. It's not seen as a good body image for me to have in in my job. Mm. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, if I'd put on a centimeter of my bicep, I'd be jumping jumping to the ceiling. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, I definitely see in Asia there is um, a tendency that smaller is is better, and I think we're like you said, we're just pushing back against that. I think mm-hmm. you know on a daily basis, I seldom even think about that anymore. I just go into the gym, train, do the best that I can, and then apart from those odd occasions where you're in an environment where you become a bit weak and you let those negative thoughts creep in, like mm-hmm. a changing room in, the, in a shop is a perfect example. Apart from that. I think getting much better. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, thanks very much, both of you, for sharing your experiences. But the underlying issue here is sort of why is this? What forces have shaped us to the point where people are feeling rubbish about themselves in changing rooms, despite the fact that they are top of their sports? So, is there any is is there anything in particular, Samantha, that you think 
um, contributes to this. Maybe the way we're advertising sports or the way that we're bringing up girls or mm. education. Is there is there something that you've noticed or you remember from your childhood that shaped your perceptions now about body image? Yeah, I think advertising um, did a lot on me, but um, it's my family. Uh, family perception because they are really uh, traditional Chinese. When I first start to do exercise, I did table tennis, and then they didn't really like it. They thought that like girls should uh, sit at home and then just like maybe like reading, do some reading, don't move, <laughs> be quiet, don't talk that much, right? And but then they didn't offer me like <laughs> other replacement for sports. And later on, I. I started running and they oppose again. Yeah, but I remember like one of my maybe uncle, aunt or some, some, someone, he, he just said the word for me and they said, is running something really healthy, let her try it. Yeah, and then, yeah, I could start running. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of the uh, very uh, like, um, I, I mean, family is one of the very influential factor for me. And also, even now, my mom, she quite often scold me like going running in trail. But I just didn't care. Like <laughs> went home with my muddy legs and then put all the shoes in front of her, and then she just like, "Wow, oh, where are you going? Like, how come a girl can be like this?" Yeah, but I know. Like now she get used to that, and then when she said this, I just feel it as joking. So I think in long term they accept me. Yeah, and I can also ignore what they said. So uh, it's better now. Yeah, for me, but still. Um, I still think that skinnier look better, but um, in my case, I prefer to have a, like optim optimal ways for me to run and race better. Yeah, yeah. to sacrifice a little bit, it's okay. I can very much relate to that family pressure. Where yeah. I mean, even just a couple months ago, after I you know moved back to Hong Kong, <laughs> my mom, who I love dearly, told me, "Oh, Mary, you're looking much more beautiful these days." And I asked her, "What do you mean? Like, how do you even how how is that possible?" And she goes, "You've lost weight." And yeah. I just didn't know what to say. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, you, you're you're in Hong Kong. You're surrounded by all these perceptions, mm -hmm. and it's. I yeah. think if I were to be totally honest with myself, I I also subscribe sometimes to the mm -hmm. fact that, yeah, maybe I would look a little better, lighter. But it's hard to reconcile that with being able to perform and run, you know, my yeah. hundred kilometers or whatever a week. But you know, you were talking about advertising, and yeah. you yourself are. In doing commercial photo shoots, you're sponsored and you oh, um, <laughs> you're on yeah. magazine covers. How yeah. how the, how do you negotiate that where you're presented as a particular type of athlete for a particular look? You're sponsored as an athlete, yeah. right? And you have to do these commercial photo shoots yeah. for magazine covers mm -hmm. or for adverts. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, I think photographers or the producers will want you to look a certain way, or they have a certain perception of how you should be presented. And does that align with how you want to present yourself as a woman athlete? Normally, they don't have much opinion for me. So they just ask me to run, and then they shoot me. They really didn't guide me that much. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Maybe my because the, uh, the photographer they are um, they are not really Chinese. Yes, yeah, some of them are not Chinese, and 
even though uh, uh, they are local photographers, they are from the sports magazine, so they understand what uh, what a female athlete like. So they don't, they won't ask me to do something with it, like uh, you know, models <laughs> or something like uh, very feminine um, like postures. They didn't ask me to do that. I'm lucky. Yeah. It's a question for both Mary and Samantha. Um, flicking back. Um, do you think that uh, when our generation starts to have kids, that that pressure from parents to look a certain way is changing and will die out with uh, generations above us? Or do you think, I mean, obviously we all are in favor of high performance uh, bodies over whatever the beauty standard happens to be. Uh, but the wider society, do you think that's changing in line with that as well? Yeah, I think if I have kids, I will definitely want to encourage them to kind of just embrace whatever body they want to grow into um, and you know whether that's for as more of an endurance athletic physique or for team sports you know there, there are just so many body types that are mm-hmm. conducive to high performance and I want them to figure it out themselves rather than give them a certain idea yeah I agree with you um if I have kids, I would really like them to run, yeah, because it will train their uh, mental ability and also like make them healthier, right? So uh, I, because I get all this pressure from the family, I won't do the same to them. So I would just let them, yeah, develop their own hobbies and also their body. Yeah. So Bobby, is there anything that springs to mind that you think sort of perpetuates uh, beauty standards over performance? Definitely. I think the first thing that comes to mind is just social media. I mean, it's, it's the biggest influence I see on a daily basis with my friends, my clients, my family, with all of us, everyone's phone, Instagram, Facebook. What's all the kids using now? Snapchat. Is that the one? I don't know that one. Um, we're just all social media mad. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I can't live without it, essentially, because it, you know, in in our industry, we use it for business, you know, for putting yourself out there to try and get sponsorship deals. I get a lot of people reach out to me, clients, through what I put on my social media. But, you know, I do feel responsible for the content that I put out um, purely because I've seen my own opinions change on what I'm looking and the content that I'm absorbing. Um, I just recently took a bit of a break from Instagram, actually, just because I started to notice that I was scrolling mindlessly and you know how it's smart it kind of knows that you're into fitness so it puts all these fitness models on your they kind of recommend you and so I would end up just scrolling through and looking at other female athletes Mm. and um, you know immediately you just compare yourself to the way that they look and you know one thing that's big in our sport and in our industry is the way you look doesn't necessarily carry over to how good you are you know if you being a top crossfit athlete of course to some degree, you're going to be lean and you're going to be strong and have muscles. But, you know, I remember my first ever CrossFit competition, actually. I was petrified because I turned up and there was all these incredibly muscular, really strong looking women. I'd never seen so many of them in my life. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get crushed. And I came third. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. And it made me start to realize that, you know, like I was saying, earlier, it's the function of what you've got. And eventually it will start changing. Um but yeah, going back to, to the social media, it's it's definitely, 
we need to be careful. And I think if we are putting content out there as an athlete or as a coach, I think you are responsible because people are going to see that and people are going to compare themselves to it. I've had to kind of take a look in the mirror and say, okay, rather than taking 20 pictures and trying to get my abs looking at the best angle and trying to make sure, because that's, that's what happens. Just to be clear here, anyone who uses sponsorship for an endorsement or mm. they have, maybe they're sponsored by a supplements company, they'll be paid through money or supplementation to stage a picture mm. and post it online. It's staged, it's not real. We all say doing it for the gram, that's what the kids say, hashtag for the gram. That means they're staging something for Instagram. And of course, there's a lot of young women out there who are now making money out of this. Great, you know, entrepreneur, you've got kids, women who have left university, left school, even left college, and they've created an Instagram account and they've now got half a million followers. When you scroll down these pages, mm. I hate to say, but like, what, what is their talent? What what are we what are we buying into here? Mm. There's about a hundred pictures of half naked women. Yes, they look great, but they've got you know abs on the show, full face of makeup, absolutely perfect mm. hair, nails, and of course, there's nothing wrong with looking like that. But we're scrolling through, and they're holding a protein shaker or they're wearing the latest gym gear, and it's like, oh, if I go and buy that product, I'm going to look like that person. No, it could be Photoshop as well, right? Definitely, it's not true, right? Yeah, no, it's a lot of it's photoshopped and, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm talking higher end here, the people, it's their jobs. These are mm -hmm. Instagram models, mm -hmm. as we call them. And, um, you know, I, th I think, you know, it's good and bad. You know, the, the, the health industry, health and wellness industry has hugely taken off in the last three mm -hmm. to five years. It's almost cool to be fit now, let's be honest, you know. Hashtag vegan, hashtag eat well, hashtag go to the gym. You know, it, mm. it's cool to be fit. Everyone's jumping on this bandwagon, which is awesome because mm. everyone's getting in shape. Everyone's being more aware of what they're eating. And there's all these massive positives that are coming from it. But then I think we've kind of hit that peak and now it can be detrimental. And I, I am worried about my kids and future generations because mm. as much as I feel like I'm young, I look at my clients' children and daughters and they're like 15 16 years old face down in the phone you know just scrolling through liking pictures of people at the gym and liking what they're wearing but not actually being proactive in terms of or understanding what it takes to achieve that um, so you said you uh taking a break from instagram uh to what extent do you have to balance removing yourself from that influence where it just doesn't make you feel good because you're just looking at these like mm. uh, shallow pictures versus the idea that you could be sort of a, a positive picture within that. Somebody could scroll through and see you, useful, athletic, um, atop of your sport. Um, did, did you have to balance that when you made the decision to take yourself off the gram? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only been, it's not very long, let's be honest. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, you can play devil's advocate. For example, I have people reach out to me. I When I went through my operation, um, I went through my recovery and I documented it on my Instagram story. You might have seen some of them. They were quite funny. Um, and I had, I think, maybe 15 people in total over the space of a month. Mm. Strangers I'd never met reach out to me and say, I've had the same surgery. Help me. You know, from America, Europe, Russia. Like, it was incredible. Just men and women saying... I'm two days post-op, help me, what have you done? You know, your recovery has been great, who's your coach? Please help me. And so I sent them information, I sent them content. Mm. 
Um, I've had women just reach out to me in Hong Kong who have found me through my Instagram page mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'd love to be a client of yours. Can we work together? That's all positive. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, like you said, I was becoming mindless. I was scrolling. I was comparing myself. And that's when you have to take a step back and say, okay, you have to be genuine. I became trapped to it. I started taking 20 pictures to get one picture. Mm. You know, and of course, no one wants to have their bad side, but everyone has a bad side. Everyone has a bad side. Mm. And uh, I think what you need to do is kind of think about what you're trying, what message you're trying to get across. You know, are you there purely just to look good and make other people think that they can look like that? Mm. Or do you actually care about what you're putting across? And I've kind of really changed the content that I'm putting out recently. And I want it to be informative and have information on how to make small easy steps or change something immediately instead of being hey look at me i look great give me as many likes as you can it's yeah choosing choosing who you are and what your brand is and how you can get that across in a genuine way and uh, even though it was a short break over that um uh, holiday from instagram how did how did your own body image change how did you feel about your body did you have moments where you were seeing adverts and trying on clothes and they were and feeling rubbish or were they becoming less and less because you weren't see- being bombarded with these pictures. That's exactly what happened. You've nailed it. I immediately felt lighter, or less distracted, of course, obviously. Um, and I like to play a little game. I'll share it with you guys now. I share it with my clients. And it's called the mirror game. So anyone who's having some negative uh, body images or body issues, I use it with my clients. It's really great way to kind of force yourself to start looking at yourself in a more positive way. I play with myself. So when I have moments where, for example, I was getting a bit carried away at Instagram, I say to myself, right, I'm going to do this for the next seven days. So basically what you do is every single time you walk past your reflection, whether that's a car door or you wake up in the morning or a window, you have to stop and force yourself to say something you like about your body. Mm. And I started doing this a few weeks ago as well, just to kind of reinforce it. Um, Because the brain is like, it's like a muscle, right? So when you reinforce those thoughts, you actually strengthen that muscle so being more positive about the way that you look and um, even if you don't like even if you're not being genuine so I would just say okay I really like my arms even though I'm thinking fuck I don't like my arms today I don't say that ever oh we're not allowed to swear sorry <laughs> <laughs> even if we say I don't like my arms today um, but yeah you're just reinforcing that uh, that pathway to say something positive about the way that you look so I would in the, in the time that I took away from it or I took myself away from Instagram rather than being bombarded with other women and other people's images and men as well I started convincing myself and reminding myself actually not convincing because I know that I look good and I know that I'm lucky or not lucky I've worked hard for it but I know that a lot of other women would cut their right leg off to look the way that I look mm-hmm. however you know yourself and we all like you said some other have our own optimal body weight and our own bo- optimal body composition. But you just need to remind yourself sometimes and kind of strengthen those, those thought processes. So, yeah, in the time that I've taken away, I've begun to be a little bit more positive about myself and just silly things. Like, I'd, well, I'd, you know, I'd put on something and be like, you know what? No, you do look good. And you're lucky that you can put on those clothes and feel confident about it. And every time a negative thought crept in, like, oh, my love handle, I'd say, Bobby, stop it. You do not deserve to say that because actually some women would kill to look like you. So just be happy with what you've got and yeah, be comfortable. Mm. Yeah, I suppose we've been talking a lot about our experiences as a women, but I'd love to hear from you, Mark, about <laughs> your your goal now of putting on a bit of weight as you get ready for your cross at the, um, your row across the Atlantic. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, as I somehow Take managed... Take two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
as I somehow managed to slip in to every single podcast, I'm trying to row across the Atlantic in about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time, I'll be rowing 12 hours a day with only two hours sleep maximum at any given time. Oh. So I'm going to lose a lot of weight. Mm. So currently, I'm simultaneously doing a massive amount of cardio and trying to put on weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but not just... Uh, It gives me a bit of license to cheat and have an ice cream here and there, but I'm trying to make sure that I'm eating a lot of calories, but good calories. Mm. So I guess in the the context of, compared to you guys who are high-performance athletes, much higher than I will ever be, um, I'm I'm very like performance metric. It's not like I'm I'm doing a lot of working out, but it's going the opposite way from aesthetic. I'm uh, trying to trying to get a belly that, but eventually, I suppose at the end of the Atlantic, I will be thinner than I've ever been. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, and, and all of the advice. The um, I've, I'm part of a race, and all of the race organisers have got the program, and they keep saying like over and over, we cannot stress enough. Your training is not for aesthetics. Do not do biceps. Don't try and get abs. Try and get big. Try and get fit. Try and get to the kind of fitness where you can just keep mm. moving and keep moving and keep moving. Um, so it is very, very different from uh, the kind of gymming that a lot of men do. And I suppose uh, there's sort of the Arnold Schwarzenegger effect where lots of men think that being muscly, like mm. it, Arnold Schwarzenegger is obviously very strong and impressive in his field of bodybuilding, but he probably couldn't do any of the things he does in movies, saving people from burning buildings, um, <laughs> fighting, wrestling. There's people much smaller than him who are mm. far, far more useful. And I think that, again, it's it, it's a similar, it, it's probably similar things that are happening across both genders. Instagram, we've just got absolutely ripped people who are standing below the perfect light to show mm. their like 17 abs we have more abs than I have pairs of socks <laughs> uh, so you know men aren't devoid of that pressure but certainly there is it's not to say that they have the same sort of body image pressure that women have mm-hmm. but uh, it, it is interesting for me now trying to put on weight even if that is a big rubber tire around my middle can I ask you then so on that note have you kind of had to put in some coping strategies or some mental processes to be able to say okay I am going to change the way that I'm look, not necessarily for the best in terms of aesthetics, but you're okay with that. Have you had to kind of have some, yeah, write oh, some stuff down? Um, or? I mean, in the past, um, I have tried to work out um, to to change the way I look, um, uh, and in my time in Hong Kong, I when I first got here. I was under the impression that I was a very good rugby player, and, <laughs> and I and I went up, I went up to about eight. Ki- <laughs> You're saying I, I remember. I, mean, this guy I used rugby. to tape for you. Remember? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I did yeah. The taping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was very good at rugby, and I went up. I went up about eight kilograms of muscle. I was really in very very good shape rugby wise. And then I realized I wasn't, and I went to try and do some mountaineering, <laughs> and I went down down about uh, to 88 kilograms. It was a huge swing, and I, it looked exactly the same. So I basically <laughs> come to the conclusion that aesthetically, I'm always going to have a dad bod. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know where the weight is coming and going from, because it's certainly not around my belly, and it's not going on my arms. So I, I just have to live with the fact that I'll... Um, I'll always look bad in a pair of speedos. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess uh, we've gone on a bit of a tangent there, um, mm-hmm. talking uh, uh, about me. At the end of the day, we do have to acknowledge that uh, these social pressures to uh, conform to body types transcend gender. 
hopefully in time we can all as a society not just as a small group of podcasters um get to the stage where our metrics for what a good body is mm. is a useful body rather than a body that looks absolutely uh, banging on instagram so with that thanks very much to bobby and to samantha both for coming on board have you guys uh, Thank you. Um, thanks you guys got big plans for the evening or are you just going to bed early wait, waiting for your training yeah dinner and then go back <laughs> go to bed very early <laughs> hopefully before 10 <laughs> yeah I'm a bit of a loser I like to go to bed before before 9 if I can oh. <laughs> it would be 9.30 we, but I'm in Love Island really mode early, so. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys thanks thank you wow well that was a really fascinating talk and gives us a lot to think about uh, really reflecting on the way that we consume social media um, but also the things we put out there and how they potentially affect other people um, those, you know, as we say, really top athletes and they're having to think about it, but they're not the only top athletes. Mary Hui, since we last spoke, you have been nominated for two of the Hong Kong Trail Running Awards, the Young Trail Runner of the Year and the Female Trail Runner of the Year. Uh, devoid of age, just up there with the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, Honoured, I guess. But also, as I was telling you earlier, as we were chatting right before the show, it, I feel a little... Um, out of my comfort zone, I guess. I really don't feel like I'm the, potentially the top runner of the year uh, for, for women anyway. I haven't raced too much. And uh, right now I'm just plodding along, trying to catch up on sleep and really not doing very much fast running. So um, yeah, really appreciate people giving me a shout out. Um, and I think these awards are also um, recognitions of the entire community, for the entire community. Do you, uh, do you suffer from imposter syndrome in any other sort of scenario? <laughs> or is it just your trail running that you're uh, sort of humble? I guess that was you know, a, a theme that uh, Bobby and uh, Samantha also touched upon, kind of feeling like uh, you're, you're playing this different role that you don't quite fit into. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's something that, uh, at least for myself, I often feel not, yeah, not just in trail running, but also just kind of knowing that a lot of people are doing amazing things. and. There's a lot to learn from everyone else. Yeah, I think another thing you're suffering from is Hong Kongism, um, assuming that <laughs> only only to be a good racer, you have to race all of the time. But, right, uh, like multiple races on yeah, the yeah, same yeah. weekend. Yeah, you're, it's <laughs> sort of like you have to get all of that out of it. But uh, getting three first places at 350Ks is worthy of being up there, I believe. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, I will not be joining you in any of those nominations <laughs> <laughs> in the years to come. But uh, Yeah, so the awards are next Saturday, July 6th uh, in Wan Chai. So if you haven't got any tickets yet, they are up and available. Yeah, and you're also MC, are you? I think so. Ah, cool. Well, anybody who gets to go along will get to hear your dulcet tones throughout the evening. So uh, worthy of buying a ticket. Um, but apart from that... Uh, there, it's a bit of a down season in Hong Kong at the moment, but uh, it is an up season in the rest of the world. By the time um, this will be coming out just before the Western States, so we've got four Hong Kongers there, um, particularly Marie McNaughton. Mm-hmm. She could uh, really do well. The Western States is one of the most competitive races in the world, so it'll be awesome if she gets to bounce back from her broken leg last year. Exactly, and she'll be going right into the 100 mile. Yeah, there's no easing herself in. Um, uh, so really looking forward to seeing if we have an amazing international performance from her. But apart from that, for everybody out there, I'm sure you're doing your own extreme sports. There, um, Make sure you follow myself uh, on Twitter, Adventure Agnew, or Mary, at Mary Hui. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also follow the SEMP Outdoor and Extreme, SEMP. Uh, subscribe to our newsletter and just generally keep up with the miles and miles of trails that people are running throughout the world via us and 
make sure you subscribe to the Adventure Trail on iTunes or Spotify so you can pass by those thousands of miles that you're running with a smile on your face listening to us. 